Hello, friends, and welcome to Building Tradition, where we tell stories from designers, builders, and artisans. History informs the future, and so do our guests. I'm your host, Pete Miller. In part two of our window series, titled Historic Windows, Repair or Replace?, We're talking to John Sander from the Technical Preservation Services Division of the National Park Service. The Park Service administers federal tax incentives for the rehabilitation of historic buildings in partnership with state historic preservation offices. If a building owner is undertaking a substantial rehabilitation of a historic building in an income-producing use while maintaining its historic character, and he or she wants to earn the 20% federal tax credit, which is often coupled with an additional state tax credit, they must submit their rehabilitation plans and a three-part application process to the National Park Service's Technical Services Division for review. The National Park Service then certifies that building as historic and therefore eligible for the program and that its rehabilitation meets preservation standards. Welcome, John, to Building Tradition. Did I explain all that correctly? Yes, pretty much. You did, Pete. Uh, The only time you don't have to do all three parts is when you have an individually listed building. But uh, otherwise, yes, you're wise to to follow it all. And I just remind people that our uh, technical preservation services has nothing to do with the financial side of it. We just issue certifications that you then take to the IRS for your credit. What's an individually listed building? A building that is uh, entered into the National Register of Historic Places as a single property. It's not part of a historic district. By far, the largest number of listed buildings in the United States are parts of historic districts. They're not, they're not important enough to be listed independently because of something that happened there or their architecture. But as a whole community, whether a, a neighborhood or a business district, they have a significance that's important to our history. And uh, those are by far where the most of these projects come from. They're not, they're not landmark buildings, but they are historic buildings as part of a larger, uh, larger body of buildings. So tell me about significance for a minute. There is significance because someone famous lived there or something important happened, or perhaps it's uh, iconic architecturally. Um, what do you see most of? Well, there, there are four categories in the National Register. One is its potential to yield archaeology, and so that's usually not relevant. But uh, it can be associated with an important person. It can be the designer of the building. It can be the person that lived there. Another category is for its history, and it can be broad um, aspects of history, whether it be social history, economic history, industrial history. Um, and then the third is for architecture or engineering. So it's about the structure itself. Um, for most of the buildings that are in districts, they're going to be important for their history. And occasionally, they're also important for the representation of a certain period of st- uh, in terms of style of architecture and period of uh, their construction. But they run the gamut. I would say, though, that though an individually listed building may sort of be a higher bar in terms of getting on the National Register, Our regulations don't give us the authority to treat 
those any more restrictively or less or buildings that are part of districts to be less restrictive in terms of how we review the work that's to be done on them. They're all they're all sort of equal in, in this program in terms of their treatment with the, for the, applying the standards. The National Park Service Technical Preservation Services has just published its 2022 annual report, which quantifies the total investment in completed historic building rehabs. Can you tell us what that report says? Yeah, um, this fiscal last fiscal year, which starts October 1st and ends at the end of September, um, we looked at 858 completed pro- we certified 858 completed projects as meeting the standards. And that represented 6.58 billion dollars worth of investment uh, in terms of private dollars and credit that's based on those dollars. Um, a large percentage of those projects were housing. Uh, the report gives us the, that between existing housing that was rehabilitated, or housing that was created in buildings that were not initially housing, over 14,000 housing units were created through this program. Um, and many of those were affordable. A lot of uh, developers use, use the affordable housing credit in conjunction with the historic credit. And, and many states have a preference for when they can combine the, the two of them, when they dole out the affordable housing credits. So I feel like we've, we've had a, a pretty big impact on the on the building stock over the course of the of the many many years this program's been in place, and the incentives have been around since at least in the similar to the form they're in since 1986. So that represents an awful lot of work. The numbers can go up and go down a little bit. The pandemic had an effect, obviously. Um, we always see more projects as proposed than we see as completed. Sometimes financing falls through, somebody sells the building, whatever. So when you look at our numbers of proposed work. Uh, we have a, a higher number, and that often foretells an increase in the number of completed projects for the following year, because rarely does a project get done in a year's time. Most of them are multi-year, multi-year endeavors that take, a, take some time between the, they first come in our door and when they finish. Let's move to a discussion about window restoration, which is such a large part of the rehabilitation of these buildings. Why would anyone want to restore a 150-year-old window? Well, from where I sit and the kind of projects that come in the door for here, I would say no one does. Um, <laughs> we are very have a very hard time of finding any project that wants to keep their windows. And that uh, will and conclude I, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think you have to remember who's coming in the door with these projects. It's not someone who owns just a great old building and they really want to do their best to save it. These are commercially uh, driven projects where there's a bottom line that somebody's trying to make. And, and though almost anything can be repaired there, uh, it's often very uh, cost ineffective to do so in the short term. If we're looking at the, the long life cycle of the building, it's greener to save the window if you can and don't have to do too much work to it. And it can be renewed over and over again, much uh, different than most modern windows that are designed to have a life cycle and be replaced. But um, that's not, they, they, it just often doesn't pencil out that the rehabilitation or the repair of a window is going to be done in a way that's economical. We repeatedly get estimates from developers, and I've even had friends who priced out 
or had windows restored. And by the time you buy a decent storm window and, and do the work that's necessary to get the window operating and with some improved efficiency, you can easily spend more than you would for even a reasonable quality uh, new window. And to that end, one of the biggest things that, that strikes me from the projects we look at, and having looked at these for 25, well, longer than 25 years, we see fewer and fewer projects come in the door that even have historic windows anymore. They're often gone. We're looking at the second generation of windows. And I think one of the one of the concerns I have is that we not dumb it down a notch each time. Oh, well, those aren't historic windows. They don't matter. Well, yes, but maybe somebody tried as best they could to capture the character of the windows when they replaced it the first time. So we're not going to make it a step worse each time we go. Um, because character is the bottom line that we're looking for here, even when we can't save fabric or don't have fabric to save. Well, that's a good segue to my next question. So at what point do you decide these windows aren't worth restoring? Let's replicate. Now, would you replicate a 1970s or 1980s window, or would you want the replica to go back to original and look as much as as it can, like something from the 18 or 1900s? Well, there are, there are a lot of layers in that question there. Um, first of all, every property that's listed is listed with a period of significance. Some things are, if it's it's association with a person, it'll have a, the date that that person lived in that building is its period of significance. If it's for architecture, it may be the date it was built. If it's for history, it could be decades, even a century or more can be, if, if changes over time acquire significance. And that's one of the concepts that's embodied in the standards. So we look at the period of significance and, and look at what the other aspects of the building are so that we don't pick and choose, that we don't have you know, a roof that's from 1950 and a then put in windows from 1910. And if the period of significance runs up to 1955, then we might want to try to keep it consistent within the period that it most represents at the time. So uh, we're often not going back to the original and we don't want to pick and choose and go back to the original on one thing when you leave everything else at a later point in time. So right. consistency matters in that, in that respect. On the replication side, uh, what, species do you see? And by species, I, I mean either wood or fiberglass or aluminum. What do you see most of in the replication of historically correct windows? Well, aluminum seems to be a real preference. And I, I think that goes back to the point of um, your, your question before. And that is that maintenance matters to people. Um, they don't want to. They don't want to have to get up there and do something again. When we're looking at buildings that are, you know, 10, 20, 30 stories tall, it's going to matter um, how often they're going to have to do something to it. So it's rare that we can get a real wood window anymore. We often are getting um, aluminum clad wood, or we're getting aluminum. Um, there are some fiberglass industry has yet to produce a window that is a really good match. That's not to say it cannot be an adequate match on a secondary elevation. Uh, but if I could diverge just a minute to talk about character, you know, it's one thing to say 
this must match. And standard six talks about repair. And then if it's not to be repaired, it should be replaced to match. But it doesn't say everything should be replaced to match. It says replacement of distinctive historic material. And standard two talks about, um, it talks about character in a way that suggests a hierarchy, that everything is not equal. So there's usually room on a building for some things to be, to have to be a really great match if there's something to match to, or at least consistent with the character of what this period is. Yet there may be other parts of a building less visible that you can use a window that might be a little lesser of a match that may be more cost effective for the for the um, developer that's doing the project. Just as you would, you know, if you have a 20 story building, the first two or three stories may be quite visible from the ground and therefore the details that that window exhibits will matter a lot. But by the time you get high up in the sky, you know, you're gonna see only general idea, general characteristics. You're not going to see all the fine details. So there's room for a whole range of things. And whether you demand a wood window or not may, may be important if, depending on the character of the inside of the building, how important is that? If it's a space that has historic features and finishes, then you don't want a shiny aluminum window in that you know fringe parlor or whatever it might be. But if it's a, a building that's routine office space that's being changed radically as part of the rehab, maybe the interior surface of that window is, and character of its uh, profiles and details isn't going to matter as much as the outside. So then we focus on where, that, where the effect is going to be have the most impact so that the investment that's being made by the developer will get us the biggest return in terms of preserving that historic character. So you mentioned the types of buildings you see. They have to be income producing. Um, I mentioned mill buildings converted to affordable apartments. Uh, You've probably seen other building types. Name some. Well, we've seen everything from foundries that are, you look at this building and you think, you know, it's not even architecturally much of a building, but it, it was important to the community that around that grew up around it for its, you know, employment. So we can have something that's historic that can just be pretty much anything. It has to be occupiable, like a grain silo in and of itself is not a building, it's a structure. But otherwise, any buildings, we have schools that stay as schools, we have factories that stay as factories, and we have factories that become apartments, and we have apartments that become schools. I mean, it's just every, every, every which way uh, works can can sometimes work, but standard one of the ten secretary standards says that the new use should be chosen such that it doesn't require um, or it allows the character of the building to survive. So we don't sometimes you know if somebody wants to put apartments in an ice house, it becomes a bit of a problem because apartments need windows, and an ice house generally doesn't have windows. So sometimes there's just a mismatch of what they're what. Um, the use is for what the original building was, and it, it doesn't mean that it can't be rehabbed, but it may not be the it may not be the right use because th- that use will require too much change. But we see single-family houses, we see barns, um, pretty much across the board. I, I, it's hard to imagine a type that hasn't come through this, the doors here at one point or another. How does the partnership between the National Park Service? and the State Historic Preservation Offices work? Well, 
they get federal grant money to participate in the historic preservation programs, the National Register, the federal tax credits and, and grants. And there um, are eyes and ears in the field, and they are our partners for this program. Um, so they are the first step for an application that's seeking federal tax credits. Um, they are the ones that make a review and make a recommendation to us. We value those recommendations, uh, and many states have very experienced staff that can be very helpful at getting the, the program or getting the applications into a, a usable state for us to review. There are 37 of the states now that have credits of their own, and that can you look at the numbers of which states have the most volume through our program, those are the states that have the most easily usable and highest value state credits. So those those can uh, they can effectively double, if not more, the, the value of the, the money back on a project if they can use the state credit too. And most of the state's credits are more readily monetized than the federal credit and without being recaptured, without having recapture functions. Um, so they're an important part, but they they have their own sort of approach. And sometimes they want something that we wouldn't ask for. And sometimes it's the other way around. Um, generally, we work out any of those differences and, you know, whoever's asking for the most stringent wins out if they both, if they want the credit for both. But right. it's, so a, it's, a, it's a cooperative partnership that's really important. To, and the program has always worked that way. So the federal tax credit is 20%. That's correct. And the state historic tax credit is also 20% or does it's that vary by state? It's dependent upon the state. I mean, there some, you know, states have had credits have come and gone. Their, their terms have, have are differ from place to place. Some states have credits for special types of buildings. Every state has its own goals and those credits reflect those. Some of the states have credits that are full 25%. There may be even some that are more than that. I don't know. And some had for a while had smaller credits, but most have moved them up on the scale in terms of credits so that they're closer to what ours are, if not greater than ours. One of the things I found interesting about the annual report is which states have the most action. Yeah. Uh, it's usually, you know, New York, Ohio, California. I think Florida made the list, which surprised me. Right, it used to be Missouri was very high because they right. were early on one of the one of the states that had the highest volume. But it's dependent upon the states also being able to manage the programs effectively, and things come and go, and legislators change their mind, and credits get different restrictions over time. But yes, if you look at the top uh, the top uh, volume on in our report, those are going to be states that have state credits. So what advice would you give our listeners, and let me identify who that might be, advice that you would give to an architect who is specifying windows for a historic tax credit project, or advice you would give to a general contractor, building owner, or uh, a window supplier? What advice would you give those folks? Well, if we're starting with the project at the beginning point, we we do acknowledge standard, we, we do follow standard six. It's a deteriorated material shall be repaired rather than replaced. So before we can move to replacement, we need at least some measure of deterioration to be documented. And if you 
if you want to replace the window and there's really no documentation, you cannot justify it, then you may indeed have to keep those windows. But we have written into our guidance over the course of years, and you can find that on the web, that though we might start with deterioration as the bottom line, we, we do take into account other factors, other factors that are important to the building being reused and taking into account technical and economic feasibility. We, we look at things such as op, um, occupant operation, ha the presence of hazardous materials, including lead paint, which can be a very, very costly to eliminate uh, if the whole window has to be stripped um, in terms of housing in particular, code requirements that may involve egress, how much the window can be open, is the window big enough to even get an egress path out of the window, or how hard is it to open the window, is it too high in the wall to reach, and, and energy as well. All those things kind of go into the soup that helps to make that decision on a foundation of some deterioration. So in other words, a window that's falling out, you know, it's a no-brainer. You're going to be able to re uh, replace that window if it's, if it's only there in parts. But a window that maybe could be repaired, but maybe it's not so cost-effective, then if you throw in all these other things and start to take those into account, then it makes it easier for us to let them go and, and choose a good replacement. And it's also going to be a little bit easier if the window is not the most important window in the building or the windows are not particularly distinctive. Some windows are, you know, they're factory made things. They may be old wood, but they're not always, they're not all precious. Many of them are. You just have to, those are all decisions we have to make. And then when we evaluate how to decide what is adequate match, you just have to step back and say, well, okay, what can we see? Look at the big issues first. What can you perceive? How do you perceive a window? Shadows help us to determine the, the three-dimensionality and the shapes of things. You know, worrying about every little half or quarter of an inch in or out in a window may not be the most important thing in terms of, of retaining that character. But if something's offset from one plane to another, or it's all in one plane and isn't offset, those are big distinctions. The solid versus void, how big is the frame overall relative to the glass? then you start to look at the pieces of the frame. But look at from the big picture moving inward until you can't tell the differences anymore, or you can't get the differences reproduced in a window that's cost-effective and, and can satisfy the needs for the project to have efficiency and operation and everything else. But in a, in, in a, excuse me, for, in a window replication scenario, would you require a, a mock-up of the proposed window? We used to get them a lot more. We rarely require them. The approach that I prefer to take is that, you know, I'll look at a drawing and I've been looking at drawings enough. I get a pretty good idea of what I can, what on the drawing is going to look like. Um, and if I have, a, if I, I just talked to a developer today, an architect, um, where the window that he wants to use, I don't think is a very good match. Um, and I think I will be able to tell the differences enough that it, they can and better windows are available that will match what they has better. Um, but my answer to him was that if you think that it's good enough, then prove to me that it is. And if a and use a mock-up to do that, because I'm not going to sit with the, with the drawings I have, I think it's not good enough. We don't routinely require mock-ups only because some of these companies have months and months to get an order in Timing is always super important. Time is money for the developers. So we don't ask for it if we don't need to ask for it. But if we think the window isn't good enough, 
prove me wrong and you stick one in and we'll look at it. Right. So there are a number of different criterion for making the decision about restoration of windows or replication. You've got the economics of the project, which the developer or building owner cares very much about. You've got historic character, which the SHPO and the Park Service cares a lot about. You've got energy codes. And then one thing we haven't talked about, but I'm wondering if it's on people's minds, the conservation uh, angle, meaning if I don't take something to a landfill, uh, I've been a better conservator. So of the economics, historic character, energy, conservation, where where's the priority on most people's minds? On the developer and owner side, it's always going to be economic in my in my sense. Though operation may matter more for someone who's going to, who owns the building and it's not just turning it over after the five year recapture period, and for them the the operational costs, which would be maintenance and energy, could matter more uh, than someone for the short term. But there are codes that limit the bottom line for that. You can't you can't put in a single place window anywhere anymore, and nobody hardly makes one. Um, but for us, it's going to be our, our decision is tempered by technical and economic feasibility, but it still first and foremost has to meet the standards of respecting the character of the historic window. Uh, and that is most easily done by saving the historic window when it is there. But that, that just doesn't always, it, it's not always easy to make happen. Um, you know, sometimes we just, we have, people come in and they don't even tell me how they're going to replace the window. We have to start with the question, are you going to take out the old window entirely, or are you just going to take out the sash and put a new window inside the existing frame, like what we call a pocket or an insert? And half of the windows that I see that have been previously replaced, in the end, the frame is still there. The weights are probably still in the wall. The jam is there, but they may have knocked off the blind stop and they pulled out the parting bead. Sometimes those even could be returned to functional use, but it rare, it's rare that that happens. Usually there's deterioration by the point in time, but you can't expect a new window, no matter how good it is, to be these... Um, answer to to capturing character if you don't talk about how you're going to install it that's that's half the battle if you don't take the old window out you're going to have twice the frame and you're going to have a difficult time trimming it out in a way that's going to make it look right there may be times that that's appropriate there are compromises that may be worth making to save interior trim that you don't want to disrupt or something but it's it's a factor that a lot of people you know they don't even bother to tell you. So assume, I'm assuming they haven't thought about how they're going to actually put the window in. And more often than not, if you don't ask, then they just they do it the the simplest way, which means leaving the existing jam in place. It makes it cheaper to have something to nail to. So does conservation come up? Conservation does not. It only comes up when it's a lead project, and when it's a lead project conservation is at the bottom of the list relative to energy efficiency. Right. John, before we got started this afternoon, you were telling me offline that the more you know about how a material is made, the better able you are to understand whether it's appropriate. Yes. You want to speak you want to speak to that? Yeah, I I would when as, as time goes on, we're seeing later and later 
products becoming historic. Um, now we're seeing aluminum windows that are historic. And they were the first window in the building that's a historic building from the 1960s, for instance. And, and often they're very minimal and it's hard to match those. When I first started reviewing projects, we were seeing a lot of industrial steel windows and we hadn't seen a lot of those it, uh, in the early years of the program. Uh, the kind of factories we were seeing were wood frame mills, not, not steel windowed factories. And the choices out there for replacing those windows were very few and not very good. Um, they're trying to do them in aluminum, which is not as strong as steel, but bulky and clunky. And a lot of the early applications we had, that was the best they could do if they had to replace them or if they were missing. And a lot of them were, were you know, not in very good, not salvageable. Um, but I would say over the course of time, one of the most encouraging things that for, for my, personally is, is the a role that we've had with the industry, the window industry in particular, of responding to the market that this represents to adjust their products over time to improve the appearance that probably isn't going to sell a lot more windows to the average homeowner or even the new project, but ultimately allows substitute materials to better replicate the original condition of the historic window. I wish other products <laughs> were as uh, interested in trying to be suppliers. You know, one company makes a slightly better window and then they don't want to, another company doesn't want to get left behind and they come along and, and improve things too. Um, the energy requirements for energy codes sometimes pushes back a little against the, the developments that the window manufacturers have come up with. And they're all struggling to try to, to try to meet the, what we can clearly all see as a growing need to be more energy efficient with every component of our buildings. And, and I think in time, we will have to probably adjust further about that. Like we, we approve lowy glass for projects, but not the darkest lowy glass. We're still trying to maintain some sense of the transparency of a window. But I think it's really important that, and, and I applaud all the manufacturers who have been as responsive as they have been. <clears throat> this really helped our program uh, produce better projects. I would applaud them too. And in closing, I I would encourage our listeners, architects, contractors, building owners, and the suppliers of windows to check in on your standards, uh, engage with you about what's appropriate, and work towards making a better building. Too many developers think they're going to do an end around, um, but that doesn't do anybody any good. Thank you so much, John, for joining us today. Very good insight about uh, historic buildings, the Federal Historic Tax Credit Program, and the restoration and or replication of, of windows. Thanks so much, John. Well, thank you, Peter, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm.